0: You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. everybody, welcome back. This is the Midnight Watch Podcast, the place where we discuss the movies that we all love, secretly love, and love to hate. We review movies 10 years old or older so we can see if the movie has made an impact on the industry or culture. I'm your host, Jeremy, along with my brother, Josh, and this is looking to be a monumental episode. I couldn't agree more, Jeremy. This might be the most iconic film we've reviewed yet. As you all might know, here at The Watch, we get into all the spoilers and hopefully you'll learn a few fun facts about this film. We give our reviews a rating in four categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? Number three, for personal enjoyment? And the big one, number four, is it a midnight watch? So Jeremy, what landmark film are we doing today? Well Josh, we're looking at one of the films that kicked off an entire blood soaked genre, scaring generations of fans and spawning sequels, reboots, and TV prequels. Boys and girls, put on your granny wigs and sharpen your chef knives. It's time to go back to the year 1960 for Alfred Hitchcock's legendary film, Psycho. Wow. Man, you really hit that note. That was great. <laughs> ah, we had a little help from our producer. I brought, it, I brought in a ringer. <laughs> that was Lily. That was Lily. That was great. I was like, dang. I looked up and I was like, wow. Wow. What can you not do? That's, that's <laughs> a, That was incredible. Well, that's awesome. All right. Let's get back in. Let's get into this right now. So, yes, we're reviewing Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, came out in 1960, based off the book Psycho by Robert Block, and it was had a screenplay by Joseph Stefano, music by Bernard Ehrman, and, who also did the the soundtrack for like Taxi Driver and Citizen Kane, another you know small-budget film. And then... We, let's see, the budget here was eight thousand seven hundred, eight hundred and seven thousand dollars and it made a box office of over $50 million. So that was a big jump. Yeah, I'd say they uh, they made their money. I think they did too. Uh, this movie is starring Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, Vera Miles, John Gavin, and Martin Balsam. I think that's how you say that. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot to talk about this movie. I'm like genuinely excited about this one. They, when it first came out. So a little bit of backstory real quick before we jump into the synopsis. the This movie, Alfred Hitchcock had just made Vertigo and North by Northwest, which North by Northwest, I think, was up to that time like the biggest big-budget movie that he had done. Big deal, um, like a huge budget in color. Right. And he wanted to do something to pull it back in scale. And he was really excited with doing his Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show. So he actually hired... His TV uh, show crew to film Psycho, which is pretty. Yeah, interesting. I thought that was, that was very cool. And I, when I was watching the movie, I was like, "Man, this feels like the Twilight Zone." Yeah. Just in in the kind of TV vibe that it was putting off, but not not in a bad way. It just felt different than uh, I don't know a big major motion picture style, you know, from the time. Right. Well, especially since like I had watched The Birds and Rear Window, and just the style of that, like the high quality. And then you watch Psycho and it feels like kind of a down and dirty independent film, which is cool because this was Alfred Hitchcock, like at his, his top, his highest, um, uh, Best point. And so when he was like, you know what, I want to make a movie a lot more cheap. And he did it in black and white, which I thought this movie came out before a lot of his old movies because it was in black and white, which that was wrong. But yeah, he did this in black and white for two reasons so that he could show blood on screen and it wouldn't be super gory because of the censors. And then also black and white because it was way cheaper. Sure. But a lot of people didn't want to fund this movie. So that's why he did it so cheap. And yeah, this movie just blew away audience expect- expectations like crazy, which we'll get into that after the synopsis. Right. Well, let's do that then. And then we'll get down to the, uh, the nitty gritty. Let's do it. So during a lunchtime tryst in a Phoenix, Arizona hotel, real estate secretary Marion Crane and her boyfriend, Sam Loomis, Discuss how they cannot afford to get married because of Sam's debts. After lunch, Marion returns to work, where a client leaves a $40,000 cash payment on a property. Marion's boss asks her to deposit the money in the bank and allows her to leave work early after she complains of a headache. Once home, she decides to steal the money and drive to Fairvale, California, where Sam lives. En route to Fairvale, Marion stops her car on the side of the road and falls asleep. She is awakened the next morning by a California Highway Patrol officer who follows Marion after questioning her and growing suspicious about her nervous behavior. Marion stops at a Bakersfield, California automobile dealership and trades in her car with its Arizona license plates for a new one with California tags. The officer spots Marion at the car dealership and eyes her suspiciously as she abruptly drives away. During a heavy rainstorm, Marion stops for the night at the Bates Motel, and she hides the money inside a newspaper. The proprietor, Norman Bates, invites her to share a light dinner after she checks in. She accepts his invitation, but overhears an argument between Norman and his mother about bringing a woman into their gothic home, which sits perched above the motel. Instead, they eat in the motel parlor, where he tells her about his life with his mother, who is mentally ill and forbids him to have a life apart from her. Moved by Norman's story, Marion decides to drive back to Phoenix in the morning to return the stolen money. Later, as she takes a shower, a shadowy figure stabs her to death. After seeing blood, Norman panics and runs to Marion's room, where he discovers her body. He cleans up the crime scene, putting Marion's corpse and her possessions, including, unbeknownst to him, the stolen money, into the trunk of her car and sinking it into the swamp near the motel. A week later, Marion's sister Lila arrives in Fairvale and confronts Sam about Marion's whereabouts. Private investigator Milton Arbogast approaches them and confirms that Marion is wanted for stealing the $40,000. Arbogast sleuths the local motels and discovers Marion spent a night at the Bates Motel. He questions Norman, whose stammering and inconsistent answers arouse his suspicion. After Norman implies that Marion met his mother, Arbogast asks to speak with her, but Norman refuses to allow it. Arbogast updates Sam and Lila about his search for Marion and promises to phone again soon. He goes to the Bates' home in search of Norman's mother. As he reaches the top of the stairs, a shadowy figure stabs him to death. When Lila and Sam do not hear from Arbogast, Sam visits the motel. Sam sees a figure in the house, who he assumes is Mrs. Bates, but she ignores his knocking. Lila and Sam visit the local deputy sheriff, who informs them that Mrs. Bates died in a murder-suicide ten years ago. The sheriff concludes that Arbogast lied to Sam and Lila so he could pursue Marion and the money. Convinced that some ill has befallen Arbogast, Lila and Sam drive to the motel. Norman carries his mother from her room and hides her in the fruit cellar. At the motel, Sam distracts Norman by engaging in conversation while Lila cases the property and sneaks inside the house. After Sam grills him, Norman becomes agitated, knocks Sam out, and rushes to the house. Lila hides in the cellar where she finds Mrs. Bates, in a chair. Lila turns her around and discovered she is a mummified corpse. Lila screams as Norman runs into the cellar, holding a chef's knife and wearing his mother's clothes and a wig. Before Norman can attack Lila, Sam, having regained consciousness, subdues him. At the courthouse, a psychiatrist explains that Norman murdered Mrs. Bates and her lover ten years ago out of jealousy. Unable to bear the guilt, he stole her corpse and began to treat her as if she were still alive. He recreated his mother in his own mind as an alternate personality, dressing in her clothes and talking to himself in her voice. This mother personality is as jealous and possessive as Mrs. Bates was while she was alive. Whenever Norman feels attracted to a woman, mother kills her. As mother, Norman killed two missing young girls before stabbing Marion and Arbogast to death. The psychiatrist says the mother personality has taken permanent hold of, mother's, of Norman's mind. While Norman sits in a holding cell, Mother's voiceover protests that the murders were Norman's doing. The last scene is of Marion's car being towed from the swamp. And uh, once again, as has kind of been the case, this comes courtesy of Wikipedia. Wikipedia, folks. There you go. Yeah, this... It's, it's pretty interesting. I was, I was looking up a lot of facts about this, and there's a lot of facts about this movie. So mm. uh, unlike Silver Bullet, which I had a hard time actually finding some trivia on that, I actually looked for trivia for an hour. <laughs> so anyways, uh-huh. uh this movie, though, I actually kind of got swamped in it. There's so much information about it. Because this movie is so controversial at the time and influential. Right. Like This is definitely the most influential movie that we've done um, since we started actually I agree yeah hands down it's just yeah let's uh, before we jump into all the details Josh where was excuse me where was the first time that you saw this movie well uh sadly the first time watching it all the way through was uh just recently when right. I re- when I reviewed it it's one of those movies where I've known about it my whole life and how iconic it is and I've um when I took uh like drama class in high school we discussed it a lot and um i've seen so many clips from the movie but i would never just watched it straight through um so it's like i felt like i knew the movie already but it was cool definitely just you know watching it straight through for the first time and it was uh it was awesome that's awesome dude i actually picked this movie because i wanted you to watch this movie this is one of those few movies i feel like if if somebody's a fan of movies that they should watch this movie like if you haven't seen this movie like stop the podcast now we kind of already spoiled the story for you but (laughs) like go go watch the movie and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast because i saw this movie probably like 10 years ago and i started getting into alfred hitchcock movies and i knew like like you were saying josh like i knew about this movie knew about the infamous shower scene and that norman bates was the killer i'm watching this movie and alfred hitchcock i know this and alfred hitchcock convinces me still in the making of this while watching this movie where i'm questioning like is norman bates the killer because like he does such a good job of making you confused and so when you have the big uh spoiler at the end of that it's actually norman bates yeah that has been killing everybody like that still surprised me and so yeah i I guess maybe i dude and i i totally agree i felt i put that in my notes I know it's coming like I know I know the scene I see what's about to happen and I'm still just like tense and then just that whole oh my gosh just kind of hits you when you see that I mean that's just how amazing Hitchcock was at getting getting you you know sucked in so it's it is amazing even knowing that it's coming it's still fantastic oh yeah absolutely but also, too, I jumped in this movie. I think this movie, I don't know if it's true or not, but this movie might have, like, the first jump scare because, like, when Arbogast is going up the stairs to talk to Mother, and then she comes out of the room and just knifes him down the stairs. Like, right. Like, the music kicks in, the whole, like, dun 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 dun. Like, when she's, like, calmly walking out of the stairs. And she just stabs him so nonchalant that it startles you. Yeah. And I thought that was... It was awesome. So this movie also is the pretty sure it's the oldest movie to be rated r now this movie came out before the mpa uh rating systems came out in 1968 but they went back and started rating older movies and so this one went from pg to pg-13 to pg-15 which i think is like or pg-14 is like uh canada's rating to um to r and i was talking to my wife about it who did not watch this movie with me actually and I think this movie actually does merit an R rating still because hmm. the violent sequences it's, it's, its actually there's no stabbing on screen. Right. And I was just gonna say the off-screen violence is, you know, impeccable. Very intense, and I so I thought that I think this does still merit—it's a soft R because basically besides two sequences of violence, there's no violence, there's no cussing, uh, there's a little bit of sexual stuff, which is actually. We'll get. Um, I'll get into that yeah. a little bit later because that has to do with censorship with this movie, right? But, um, yeah. So this, the thing that there's a lot of stuff about this movie too that, um, like for example, Janet or uh, Janet Leigh, the the main person in this movie is probably. I think, I think it's actually Lee. Lee, excuse me. That makes a lot more sense. Which you know who her daughter is, right? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. J- oh man! Look at us. J. B. J- Lee here. Curtis, right there, the screen queen, right there. So yeah the uh, it's cool because the thing is there alfred hitchcock played it so close to the chest with this movie he bought as many copies of the book as he could before um, he made this movie so nobody would know what the twist was right and then he um he that's bought a, that's a baller move right there <laughs> it is it's uh, it so is and then also too this was the first time that people weren't allowed to come into a movie after it started because a lot of people would come into a movie like halfway through and watch the end of the movie. And then they'd wait and go to another showing of the movie and then watch like the first half. I don't know why, but that's like what people were doing in the that's, 50s That was a stuff. thing, huh? Yeah. And so he was like, he didn't want somebody to walk in and be waiting to see Janet Lee And she's nowhere to be found because she dies like 45 minutes into the movie. Which, yeah. this is the first time the main character has been killed off halfway through the movie. And you find out yeah. this movie's not about her. It's actually about Norman Bates. It was it was so groundbreaking in multiple ways, uh, whether it's how it was filmed or I mean that's a major that was a major Hollywood trope right there. You don't kill the main you know person, the main actor. Oh yeah. Halfway through halfway through the film, what that's crazy. Yeah, you see that all the time now because of shows like Lost or Heroes and stuff like that, where they right. especially The Walking Dead, where they love to kill off characters. I think Game of Thrones was probably oh yeah the biggest one because that was just what right yeah I mean when they like, kill uh, when they killed Ned Stark at the beginning of the first season you're like uh what 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 do we do now right. I mean that was that was a huge shocker yeah you thought he was gonna be the main character in the show right absolutely But you should have known better whenever sean bean's in something you should you should know better (laughs) he's died on screen more than 25 (laughs) times i literally just looked that up but yeah he's died on screen more than 25 times if you want to have a great laugh look up sean bean deaths on youtube and somebody edited together all of his death scenes with this like sad song playing in the background (laughs) and it's so funny it's just like it keeps going and going and they i anyways that was just hilarious but sean bean is he's a great actor um, let's see here. Yeah, so the basically, this movie got a bad rating, though, when it came out from critics. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was interesting about this is I believe that it's because Alfred Hitchcock didn't have any critic showings for this movie because he didn't want anybody to see it right. before it came out so it could be spoiled. So he had big signs in the theater saying, like, don't talk about the ending of this movie. Um, the, you cannot come into this movie once it started. So there was lines around the block of people waiting for the showing um, when people were coming out, they were, like, screaming with delight and having fun. People were like, what happened? What happened? And apparently, unlike today, there was a lot of people, like, people weren't spoiling this movie. So you had to right. go see it. And that was just uh, totally different than before. Right. So, yeah, cause Well, so- he, was, he was already kind of a quirky, I don't know. It wasn't, didn't really toe the line in general, I guess, as an actor. but Or, sorry, as a director. Mm-hmm. And this one, he went so rogue on everything about this movie and you know the the studio's like well we're not going to fund you and he's like well cool I'll do it this way and I'll do it that way and just you know finding the workarounds on all of it I mean it was right he's a master no doubt oh yeah like because the the difference with this was he was at the end of his contract back in the day directors and movie stars they would get locked into a contract with like certain movie studios like Universal or Paramount Paramount or like United Artists and stuff and they would you wouldn't be allowed to do movies for anybody else you'd only do movies for universal for like 10 years and once your contract was up then you might be able to do movies for somewhere else so his contract was up with paramount and this was like right in the middle of him moving to universal i so i think paramount still has a credit on this but yeah he was in that weird limbo state and they wanted him to do another big budget film because compared to north by northwest which came out the year before which was budget of 4.6 million this movie was like eight hundred thousand dollars, so that's a big difference, right? And yeah, it was just pretty crazy. But he 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 did a lot of different stuff. He actually he finished filming this movie, and he was disappointed by it. Actually, he didn't think that it was the, that it was actually that good. And he was thinking about editing it down to an episode for his TV show, and then Bernard Herrmann came in and played the score with the movie, and it changed the movie a hundred percent so yeah I, i'd be interested to watch this movie with like the sound off and see how that goes because originally he was going to have the shower scene be uh oh, be silent yeah. right without but but then bernard herman uh, put that in there and he loved it immediately he was like oh this is great and yeah, yeah so he said he actually gave <laughs> bernard Herrmann. let me read this real quick he doubled the composer's salary to thirty four thousand dollars and Hitchcock later said 33% of the effect of Psycho was due to the music, which oh, yeah. I 100% agree on. Yeah. This. Well, even even at the as the intro to the movie, the opening credits and whatnot, the, the, oh, yeah. the strings right there are super engaging. I mean, it's immediately. I mean, you're just like, wow, this is intense. Right. And when I think of a, a, a Hitchcock movie, this is the soundtrack that comes to mind. It's just like, it's just pounding it sounds it sounds off it's scary it's constantly on the edge of your seat like the entire time that there's music it's it's you're nervous like when Marion's driving right. and she's just worried about in her head about stealing the $40,000 right constantly and, checking the rearview mirror and right she's super paranoid like if she had not gotten murdered i would have still watched the rest of this movie to see like what would have happened to her and i forgot her boyfriend's name gavin well that's the actor anyways um. So, oh, by the way, the equivalency of $40,000 in 1960 that she stole oh, right. was actually today. That's like $350,000. So, because I was like, when she stole $40,000, uh, I was like, yeah. I mean, that's a fair amount of money. But, right. like, would that really get you out of that much? Which is another, I know I'm talking a lot about this movie, but... Another interesting thing, it may not make sense to today's audiences, but in the 1950s, like if you were a lady and you were hitting 30 years old and you hadn't settled down with a man yet, like you had the old maid syndrome where- Yeah, you were you were lost cause. You were lost cause. And the fact that her boyfriend, like they were sleeping together, that was pretty controversial of having a hotel lay and stuff. But then he didn't want to make it official because he was behind, had tons of debt which now right. like when i was watching i was like dude just like obviously she doesn't care like just right. stay with her like I, cuz i thought like there was going to be maybe like they were cheating on somebody but yeah there's there's no cheating it's just uh right he's already divorced so he's paying alimony and and all, all of that but i think the thing we forget um society society wise it was you know appearances were so much more of a thing back then than oh, they are yeah. now i mean just we don't even know yeah. how serious that was like oh, was, and his name his name uh, was Sam in the Sam, movie. Sam, I am. <laughs> yes, awesome. Sam yeah. Loomis. Sam Loomis, which is funny. Sam Loomis. Who else has a character named Loomis? Dr. Tell me, Loomis. Jeremy. No, Doctor huh? Lewis. Doctor Lewis. Doctor Loomis from Halloween. There we go. Yeah, there, there's a ton of movies that were that pay homage to this, and then like Ar- Arbogast, he's mimicked in several other movies. Just lots of different stuff. Yeah. So we yeah. I'm hogging the mic too much, Josh. I can see you're that's getting, all right. See, you're getting you're bored a, over there. You're not. Nah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I went and had a sandwich. Uh, went for a walk around the block. <laughs> watched an episode or two or something, and then came yeah, back. Yeah. Watched some Seinfeld. There we go. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This what is this is definitely you, this is a for sure uh, a passionate topic for you. I know you really got into movies um i mean not that we didn't like movies growing up i mean we, we've always been fans but you really got into film as a as a passion i think probably in what late high school yeah i would say and so. i was i was you know newly married at that point and um i kind of yeah i don't know i really started getting into to then as well probably a little bit because you were so into it and it was kind of a cool way to um bond you know talk about stuff Plus yeah. our, uh, our brother-in-law, uh, Dave, he was a huge um, you know, movie nerd as well, particularly with uh, horror movies, which uh, hopefully uh, everyone will get to meet him as we bring him on the show as a guest uh, guest host coming up in a uh, good old Halloween season. Yeah. We'll bring him in as the zombie expert since he That's right. introduced us to some of the best zombie films and worst right. zombie films. No, oh, yeah. Go no it's true it's true but i but we say that with uh with a lot of love for those terrible movies so anyways um but yeah this movie for sure as a film buff is like you were saying earlier you you have to watch this movie it has to be a part of something you've experienced to further enrich your love for for film it's it's amazing and it's cool because not even as a fan of of you know classic horror movies like we are it it just it covers so many other things like a lot of the a lot of the shots in this movie are, you know, you would see them in modern, I say modern, but in the last 20, 30 years, you would see some of the shots that he would make. But I feel like in the 40s and 50s, it was pretty standard fare. You had lots of like wide angle room shots mm-hmm. or um, I, I don't know. He did stuff with with a, with a camera on a boom and cycling up and around and coming down and from such, you know, at the time, weird angles. And it just... It makes the movie so much more um, expansive, I guess. You get such a broader feel for the environment. Yes. And like that opening, the opening shot that he does, which um, I guess they shot it from a helicopter and it zooms all the way in from from way, way out. And you see this this hotel in the distance and it zooms all the way up to the window. And then it goes, you know, through the curtains or the under the, the yeah under the windowsill, the, the windowsill, somewhere like that. It's it come, you know, you come all the way into the room, which I apparently I think they had to cut that because it was too too choppy from the um it wasn't stable enough like they can do it now. But anyways, that that was such a landmark um shot, which, you know, we take that for granted now. But seeing that from a from an older movie, which that being said, you and I watched a lot of black and white movies growing that's, up because they were. Neat. Definitely not Hitchcock, though. He was he was probably the devil growing no, up. That was, but, yeah, too, no, was. We, yeah, no, we were more of a Roy Rogers and Ray Roy, Roy oh, for and sure. Evans fans for sure. Yeah, definitely those uh, the old westerns. But even some of the um, like Jimmy Stewart movies, not the Hitchcock ones, but like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or right. Um, some of those other more or shop around the corner different. Yeah, things like more that. Fi- family friendly kind of ones. Right. Uh, you just didn't see these kind of camera angles and whatnot, so. That I was really excited to see that. Yeah. Because uh, we, like I said, we, we watched a lot of those old ones and loved them. I still love them, but oh, I've yeah. definitely kind of fallen out from um, it. This movie made me want to go back and start watching older movies again. Because, um, I mean, they're just, there's so much content being thrown at us these days. I mean, faster and faster. I mean, you can't keep up with it. So you miss something. Um, you don't always go back to, to watch it, let alone try to catch up on stuff that came out years ago that... I mean you could you could just watch old movies for a year and not see everything. Oh yeah. I say old movies but from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. No, I for for a long time actually when I was just got out of high school, my one of my goals was to see if I could watch every movie ever made. And you can't do that. There's just no. way too much stuff <laughs> being made. Even like I mean when I was in high school like 2000 2004 2005 like before like this massive streaming boom and stuff like basically stuff would have to stop being made for 20 years if you want and even then there's so much cinema out there yeah but, um that we were talking about the helicopter shot coming in that was yeah. his plan originally but they actually couldn't do that because they didn't have the stabilizers on the camera so it was like super janky so they had to do if you if um you when it turns they've actually composed of four different shots um of a standstill camera that's slowly zooming in as it's turning so it hides the fact that it does kind of look like a helicopter shot, which is right. It was pretty awesome, but they have oh a, yeah, it's so smooth. It, the it editing, is. the editing is insane on this movie. Oh yeah, Alfred Hitchcock was famously known for he was saying the most boring part of a movie is actually filming it because right. he was so meticulous with the the camera shots, the lighting, the um the the lines, all of that before he even shot it. He knew exactly what the movie was going to look like. And actually, the thing is, if actors had a problem working with him sometimes because he didn't let them chew the scenery where he's like, all right, let's do like a couple takes, do whatever you want. He was like, okay, so this camera is going to move from point A to point B in four seconds. So you need to move from sitting on that chair and move over and look at this item before you deliver your line because the camera is going to be moving. So you need to have that done. And so some actors had a problem with that and some didn't. But he did have a fair amount of repeat actors that loved working with him. Right. Right. Well, you had to know what you were getting with him, which I think I don't know how it was back in the day with directors. But I know, I mean, in the last, again, 20, 30 years, you definitely have directors who actors want to work with that guy because he has a very specific way of doing it. And that's that's why you want to work with them. You're not trying to to work with them so you can do your thing. I mean, you're like, please direct. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. You want that writing or I'm sorry, the acting credit of like, yes, I worked with this huge person you know like scorsese or spielberg or you know right or tarantino yeah all the different great uh, great directors of today and the thing is cool is like the hitchcock too was so influential that he basically created the suspense genre by himself like this yeah. is this is i haven't so to be honest i haven't watched that many old school foreign films so i know like there was a slasher film that came out a couple of years before this that hitchcock wanted to buy the rights for for the book but a, a french i believe it was a french director grabbed it before him and that movie right. i can't remember the name french or italian but yeah might have like been like italian that. um but the that movie though had an infamous like bath murder scene and so they were uh the, this one though they were saying like this might have been almost a copy of that but i'm not sure if that's the case at all The thing that's interesting is this movie and a lot of serial killer movies that came out after this was loosely, very loosely based off the life of Ed Gein, who Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based off of this because Ed Gein was basically, technically he's not even a serial killer. Like people think he killed more than two people, but they don't have proof yet. A lot of people did disappear at that point. Right. And he was the guy who would... Well, he, he definitely was a body snatcher, though. Right, right. Yeah, definitely body snatcher. They had tons of, of old bodies in his house and make furniture out of it, all kinds of other stuff. Right, he was really a real arts and crafts kind of guy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before Pinterest and Etsy, you had Ed Geek. He was the original Pinterest. Oh, man. Yeah, that's the knife the trist. I don't know. Mm. Instead of Pinterest. But right. He, yeah, so this movie, though... Um, There's there's some people that are saying if this movie had come out before people had caught Ed Gein and that became a sensational story, they would have thought this movie was just bonkers and not realistic at all. But, uh, oh, speaking of that, yes, so watching this movie, uh, just I don't know, with the knowledge we have today of, of different you know, true crime stories that have happened, and my wife is a huge serial killer, true crime nut i mean she watches all that stuff you know before she goes to bed at night that's what she likes to fall asleep to which by the way if i ever disappear someday (laughs) um, it'll be flawless (laughs) 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 but um this movie as i'm watching it, i'm like man this doesn't even feel really like a horror movie to me it feels like a true crime um you know psycho killer dude which i mean it is but there's so many you know, FBI, you know, TV stories today, whether it's you know, CSI or um, I don't know, any any kind of cop show. There's a lot of I mean, we these types of um, criminal personalities have already come out and been profiled. And we know so many true stories about these types of people that it's it's nothing new to have somebody, you know, a killer with pers- multiple personalities, the the serial killer type, because I don't even think they knew about serial killers at that point i don't think no. the fbi had even coined that phrase yet so um it's crazy how ahead of the curve he was on that and it, yeah it doesn't even feel like a horror movie to me because there's just there's so much real life that's happened like that and yeah, uh, you've seen it in so many different tv shows and movies since then not as horror movies but as this is just you know a crime story oh yeah no absolutely that totally makes sense and uh, the uh, this also too. this movie made the term psycho what it is now like it's been it had been used before you didn't create that term but a lot of people weren't really using it but after the word psycho like the person just went crazy or whatever or even like if somebody's you know gone gone psycho or whatever then you hear like the the, the music the whole reet, reet, reet. Right. and then like that you do the knife thing and uh, so just that like they it brought the word psycho into normal language people know what that means You know, I think it's like talking head song, psycho killer, like, and then the music too. Aubrey hadn't seen the movie. And I asked her, I was like, what do you know about this movie? And she was like, well, uh, somebody gets knifed in the shower. That's pretty much all I knew from uh, this movie. And then she was like the whole read, read, read. And so that is part of our American mythology now is when you think of uh, serial killer psychos or anything like that you think of. In your mind the uh, somebody holding the knife and you hear that music in your head and i was scared once i heard about this movie i was always scared to take a shower oh yeah and i didn't watch this movie for 20 years so right like that had an imp- this movie had an impact on me heavily because um as a child and i had never seen this movie so this that shows just in one aspect at how influential it is like you can just right. hear about a movie right and it'll scare you well janet lee apparently was so traumatized by filming the shower scene that she avoided taking showers the rest of her life well you're you're right and you're, you're wrong so <laughs> they took seven days to film this the shower scene and she was very comfortable while they were filming it because it took over right. like seven days and what was it 40 40 or 78 shots in 45 yeah. seconds crazy um, and then she said when she actually saw the movie for the first time, that's when she realized how traumatizing it was. And oh, how, that's how, right. How vulnerable you are in the right. shower. And yeah, she had never, never took a shower after that. She just, she did bath. She was a clean person, but she. <laughs> right. She did bathe. Yes. Yes. Maybe Spongebats. But yeah, I, I just thought that would be pretty interesting hearing that though. But she loved making this movie. She was disappointed, though, because she was hoping to develop a working relationship with uh, Hitchcock after this, like many other actors and actresses had. And he told her, he said, I don't think we're going to be able to work together because of, again, uh, people are always going to think of you in this movie instead of whatever movie we're doing after this. Right. I I don't know how much... Well, no, I guess guess typecasting was still very much a thing in Hollywood. And for sure, she got typecast and also... um, what's his face anthony perkins anthony perkins for sure got typecast dude he which that guy dude that guy was a working machine oh, I, yeah. I i was just this morning i was just reading up on his career and oh my gosh that guy stage and screen that guy was non-stop till he died yeah he was like a younger jimmy stewart and he had that kind of like really trustworthy kind of like oh yeah you know like yeah. of course you'd want your daughter you know right boyish good looks yeah exactly you know charming relaxed um the fact that he was always eating that kettle corn in the movie that was his choice i thought that was kind of cool that was like a candy corn can't excuse me candy corn one Uh, of my favorites as well (laughs) that was uh because you know brad pitt always eats in like almost all of his movies right so i thought that was just a cool little thing where he's just just chilling and just eating some corn and popping popping some candy right but he did get typecasted uh, pretty strongly in this, which at first he was annoyed for a while where he didn't want to talk to people about the movie. And right. then later in his life, he, you know, came back and made three three sequels to it, which he directed one and helped write another one. And he actually ended up saying, like, you know, even though I got typecast in this, I loved being part of this. And so he actually came yeah. to really appreciate this role. Right. Definitely embraced it towards the end. And that, that was some of the last stuff he did the it was it i didn't look into like yeah i saw i saw psycho i mean 2, he, which, hmm? you saw psycho too i did yeah it was actually pretty good that's cool yeah i haven't seen any of those i um, uh, i would be interested to watch the second one yeah uh, be just they do cause a, that that is a legit horror movie yeah they do do uh, do they do an interesting thing say, say do a few more times do do <laughs> <laughs> um, they it's definitely though uh the an interesting spin on what they do. I feel like they could have done a lot more stuff with it, honestly. And I didn't. I I do plan to watch the third and fourth one, um, but I'm not not really. Uh, basically, if I like one movie, I'll probably end up watching the rest of the series, right? Because that's what I do. But <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of doo doo in this episode. There is. So going back to it, people were trying to figure out who was the killer in this movie, right? So Alfred Hitchcock, even since norman bates is the killer and mrs bates is dead the entire time he even had a, a chair on set that said mrs bates so if like newspaper reporters or people were like happened to get on the set which was very rare because it was a closed set right um, they would see that and think like oh that person's just off set he put out a casting call for people for mrs bates and so that does another reason why people were just automatically assuming when they're watching the movie that yeah mrs bates is the killer so right. it just was mind-blowing when that happened. It was yeah. pretty incredible. So this is the first time in a movie that a toilet is seen on screen, which is pretty big deal. That made uh, the movie more kind of grimy and true crime-feely. And they even yeah. flushed the toilet, which is pretty intense. And then also, oh, yeah, there's there's actually... So people say there's no nudity in this scene. Apparently there's one clip of a body double that they had that's bent over at the end of the shower scene where you can like barely see something but janet uh, lee was not naked during this movie she had like a gray moleskin bodysuit thing that she was wearing and they they since they filmed it over seven days they basically had time to to set up all kinds of different camera angles and then there's actually a rumor about this movie about right when the killer pulls back the the curtain and the that alfred hitchcock had them turn on cold water so she would scream really loud right that's actually not true so, that's a great story, though. It is a, I I had, I had heard that when I took my drama class way you know way back in high school, and I always thought that was brilliant. So even yes. though it's not true, it's a great story. It is brilliant. Yeah, that's kind of like it's almost a Stephen King thing. If the legend's better than the real story, print the legend. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, Janet Lee said though, like they were a very Alfred Hitchcock was very concerned about there always being warm water, so that way that she'd be as comfortable as possible while they were filming this that scene. Yeah, and, which is funny though because he's like really concerned about her. He did not like Vera Mills, who played his uh, her sister uh, Vivian. Like they had a falling out between when they made the movie before, so right. Vera Mills did not have a good time making this wait, movie. Vivian or Lila? What was her? I keep wait. I think I said Marion. So Marion. And the I'm sister's Lila. Lila, who's Vivian? I don't know. Anyways, Lila, that's what I was or, talking about. Or Vivian, whoever. Who Vivian? The sister. Her sister, yeah. Um, yeah, but she did not have a good time making this movie, which is funny. So I guess basically if Hitchcock liked you, then you were, then you had a great time. And if he didn't like you, you did not have that good of a time. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing, though. Just, yeah, that, that was that. This movie was pushing boundaries on all sides. They had a big problem with the use with her... Janet Lee being in a bra in this movie and then the right John Gavin being shirtless like that was extremely risqué and right. so they had the censors the they wanted to cut that part completely out and so he had initially made the scene a little bit more raunchy so that they um they intentionally would cut out part of it and then send it back and then there was one part too where they had one guy that was editing or watching the movie when the shower scene happened he was like oh I saw a breast and then Alfred Hitchcock was like did you so they rewound it, played it again, and then he was like, "No, I, I guess I didn't, because there's actually no, there's no nudity in that. It's just um, the scenes are cut so quick, and there's a reverse right. shot with a knife on her stomach that is pressed into her skin and then pulls out, so it looks like the knife's going into her stomach, but actually right. it's a reverse shot, so you don't see it. And so they sent it to the MPAA or the to the the board sensor. The MPAA wasn't made yet." And they were like, "Okay, you need to fix this and edit this down." So he waited like a week and then sent the movie back to them unedited. And then they were like, "Yeah, this works, <laughs> right?" I also heard he said, "Like, yeah, you can come in and watch the the reshoot." Yes. And then they never and then they never showed up. So he was like, up. "Cool, exactly. here we go." <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, he was he was psychological on all of them beyond just what you see in the movie. I mean, he just master manipulator. Oh man! And this movie does one thing really cool at the very end of the movie too when they're having the voiceover of mrs bates when it's showing norman and he's just looking down and oh yeah and then yeah, he looks yeah. up he looks right at the camera and she's all like i wouldn't hurt a fly and then he looks right at the camera and they superimpose a skull over his face for a second as they're trans uh, uh changing scenes into the car being pulled out of the bog Right. And that breaks the fourth wall. So that like really kind of gets under your nerve is like, Ooh, he's coming for you next, which was right. very unusual. That just left you with an unsettling feeling. And then there's no credits at the end of this movie. It's just like, boom, and you can leave now. <laughs> right. So yeah, very unsettling. Very. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, it's definitely a very mature film. I mean, even by today's standards, you're like, wow, this is very kind of erotic feeling between the, the very first scene Uh, When they're, I mean, you don't even see anything. It's just heavily implied that, okay, they were, they were getting down and now, you know, it's time to go back to work and yeah, they were lunch, lunch breaks over, but (laughs) they did sandwiches in the hotel room. Right. right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'm sure the, the bra scene was, you know, hugely like, oh my Lord. And one thing I, I totally agree that Hitchcock definitely walks a very thin line between just going trashy on this movie. Um, And I know that those like trashy B movies were a really big thing in the sixties. It started to really blow up. Yeah. Just really raunchy. I mean, they were, they were definitely talking about the, like the nudie cutie movies going into the grindhouse films. Basically. Yeah. Those, you know, those ones leading into that. And he walks that thin line of doing that, but he doesn't, he keeps it kind of tasteful. Yeah. And uh, especially by today's standards. And you know it's just enough to kind of mess with you but you don't ever see anything especially during that whole shower sequence I mean those shots are so fast you think you might have seen something but it was yeah. so well done I mean a lot of it I, that's why I, I love off-screen violence and it's almost off-screen nudity I don't even that's not even a thing but <laughs> <laughs> you well, just you so feel much. like oh my gosh I shouldn't be watching this but you didn't see anything Right, Ridley Scott does it that in a great job in Gladiator. There's several times where you think you see gore on screen, but then if you slow down and you watch like shot by shot like it stops right before like that guy's arm gets cut off and you just you you imagine it in your mind. And I love that too. I feel like that's so cool. It I mean don't get me wrong, like on-screen violence and stuff like that is when it's done right, like can be really impactful and sometimes sure. that's 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 what they went for when grindhouse movies was like let's show everything right uh which to be honest hitchcock if he if he had stayed alive another 30 years like he would have definitely gone there and because he was constantly pushing the boundaries yes but i mean he started movies he was making silent films that was for a long time so anyways it um, would have been cool to see what he would have done with actual on-screen violence and whatnot because the fact that he was able to do it so well off screen, which to this day, I still love that. I mean, the early Tarantino stuff is just shocking. And you're like, and I didn't see anything. Right. And it's so, I mean, it's, he's definitely channeling some Hitchcock there. So I'm with you as, as much as I enjoy seeing some quality on screen violence or whatnot that's, that's done well. Um, it can definitely be done very poorly and yes. just be violent for violence sake, which most of the time doesn't work well, in my like opinion we talked about in silver bullet how the one guy finds his son that was all shredded and the special effects were so bad they couldn't shoot that scene so they just showed his face and that was yeah. like the most impactful scene in the movie oh yeah it was amazing it was great so we well it looks like we're about to need to wrap up on time so uh, anything else you want to say about this movie before we go into final verdicts I think that's about it. It was uh, it was very very fun to watch, man. Yes, it it was awesome. Like I, I just really enjoyed it. I watched a lot of making featurettes about this, and oh, did you just... watch the the biopic film Hitchcock with Anthony Hopkins? I did. About yeah, five or six years ago. I did. Did you watch that? I did, and I actually. Just from what I remember from that film, I appreciate it even more after watching this and and like you reading about the film and the making of it. Right. So it kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch that a little bit. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty, pretty great movie that I will say. Oh, one thing. Yes. I love how and I don't know how many other directors were doing this at the time. I kind of don't think very many, but I love how he put himself in in the background. Oh yeah, he'd had a cameo in like every movie that he did. Right, and I love that. I love that you today. I mean, I love that when you know Shia does that. Um, I mean, yeah. there's there's a bunch, a Sam bunch of them do did that it for a while. Yeah, Sam. He's he's probably the most famous Stephen yeah. King, which had to you know sneak himself into his movies. Uh, but that was super fun. So and I knew that was gonna happen, but I didn't know where. And it was a cool scene when she returns, you know, to the her office. To office at the beginning of the movie, and he's standing outside the door. Right on the street. I thought that was super cool. And did you know that the other secretary that she works with was his daughter? Yes, actually she, um, he wouldn't put her in his movies unless he felt like the part was actually right for her. And so this was one movie where she did it. And I, I thought she was actually a really charming character. I thought her character was pretty fun and happy. And this movie actually, there's this thing that's called the Bechdel test. I think I'm saying that right. And that means, uh, it's a, it means there are more than two female characters with names Two of them have conversations about uh, something besides men, and like so basically, if you watch a movie, and if women in the movie are by themselves and they have a conversation that's not about men, then that passes the the vegetal test. And so there's a lot of movies that don't pass this test, and so this movie does. Like Marion and uh, and her, they talk about work, and they just talk about not feeling good, and then there's the other conversation between uh vera miles and the sheriff's wife and they talk about like hey let's make some food and stuff and so like that's just they're more it creates characters that are actually more fully fleshed out and these are real people these aren't just right. women that are there for the sake of serving whatever the men do in this right like vera miles character very influential in this and uh marion crane obviously very serious character in this so very cool though like that's yeah. pretty awesome i agree i had not heard of that so that's awesome very cool so any uh, any last thoughts? Nope. Let's uh, let's give our ratings. Okay. So let's see. Did it hit the mark when it came out? Yes, by a landslide. This yeah. this shattered expectations and beyond. Yes. This blew the doors off. It is Alfred Hitchcock's most popular and most famous movie that he's ever done. Uh, people just this movie's yeah it hit hard. Some people were actually left the show uh, left the movies like running out of the theaters like it's the passion yeah. of the christ of the 1960s and it was pretty intense that's a... <laughs> Right for sure for that's sure the, that's the tagline for this movie now the passion <laughs> of christ 1960 <laughs> um maybe i'm, a little I'm less, sure that'll stick a little bit less spiritual and <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little just a little all right what was the next one uh next one would be his um uh, um uh <laughs> It's our own show, we don't know what we're even supposed to do No, is it relevant today? Sorry, there we go. Oh, yes, I would is say it? absolutely. Yeah. This movie has w- wove its way into our, like I said, American mythology. Like, people reference this movie, whether they've even seen this movie or know they're even referencing this movie. Like, it's just, yeah. it's part of our culture now. And so, right. yeah, 100%. And it has is, is influenced filmmaking just i mean we'll never we might even no- never know how much is you know the long lasting effects it's, uh, this movie's had on filmmaking in general yes um let alone the story um yeah for sure i give that's absolutely an a yeah for, I feel for like relevance today this is one of those times in movie history where it's like there's a time before this movie and there's a time after this movie and yeah as, as much as I'm not, like, a huge Star Wars fan, the first Star Wars movie was another one of those ones where it was, like, before Star Wars and after Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And so this was definitely, like, that shower scene changed cinema in the way that we did, did do movies and certain things now. Right. 100%. Um, all right, Josh. Personal. En- oh, okay, so we did um, A-plus with, it did hit its mark. A-plus is still relevant today. What's yes. your personal enjoyment on this? Um, I give it a B it was yes I, I enjoyed it a lot um definitely it influences how i see other movies not quite there uh for a an a for me but for sure i give it a b plus even there you go i, I i'm with you on that i give it a b i actually like some of hitchcock's other films personally more than this mm-hmm. um yeah i definitely give it a, a a b like i like this movie it was fun and um, it's it's like i said if you haven't seen this movie you have to see this movie if you are a fan of cinema you have to see this movie this oh yeah is one of the ones that's like it's on the list of like movies to see before you die but seriously go, yeah. watch this movie like if you find it kind of boring drink some alcohol watch this movie <laughs> <Like, laughs> or some coffee or some coffee yeah you, you know, might maybe. need you might need caffeine to stay you know engaged <laughs> yeah all, all right. right the big one is this a midnight watch for you uh not for me like yeah, uh, It's a great film, but not for me. What about you? I am with you on that. I wouldn't say it's a midnight watch, but after having this conversation with you, it kind of would make me pause at this point. If I saw it on, I, I think I would want to sit and watch it a little bit. So I give it a half a midnight watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a twilight watch. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not <laughs> quite midnight, but not quite daytime. Right. I think I would, depending on the, the scene that pops on, like I, I might watch it for a few minutes. It depends. Yeah, it does depend on what part of the movie it's in because there's like different sequences in this movie that are very monumental and it's just fun to watch sure. those scenes. Absolutely. But, yeah. I mean, the, the shower scene for sure, you would stop and, well, I mean, that's a no brainer. You're going to sit and watch that. But if she's just driving in the car. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Though I did love all her, the conversations she has in her own mind. Oh, yeah. Um, when, she, when she's paranoid and she's thinking, well, this is what they would be saying right now. Because I do that, you know, about. Things in general yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> what other people might be thinking so uh, i mean I, I yeah i think i'm i might depending on the scene it's definitely not in my opinion a true midnight watch like some of the some of the other ones we've we've looked at where i feel like almost every scene in the movie is is entertaining not that this movie is i'm gonna stop there you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean. you know what i'm saying <laughs> Well, that wraps up today's episode. If you want to check out this movie, I actually own this movie. Um, Josh, where did you watch this movie? Uh, I found it uh, for free to stream on the Peacock TV app. There's actually a lot of really good content on there. There are commercials, but I didn't find them too long uh, to kind of break up watching the movie. So that's a that's a pretty good app. You know, I actually, you mentioned that I did watch it actually on the app, even though I, I own this movie. Um, I watched all the, extra stuff on the movie on the dvd i actually to be honest okay so watching it free and peacock is great but there was a couple times where like there was something happened and it it went to the next scene and went into the commercial and it threw me oh yeah for sure yeah it's definitely not good to watch a movie with commercials it definitely isn't yeah yeah but but, if you want to be cheap this is a way to do it otherwise i would i would totally recommend renting this movie or you you can't go wrong buying it either absolutely this is this is a classic worthy of any film lovers library dude speaking of libraries the library has tons of movies that you can yes for, support for the local library yeah go out there it's that's more than me. books that's literally what i did had to see tons of movies back in the day is I would oh yeah five movies a day watch them all and then go back and the next day right. i have like 60 or 70 movies in my queue that i work through yeah to no... this day i mean our, our local library has a ton of blu-rays and, oh yeah. yeah i mean they're just and, and DVDs, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, books are cool, too. <laughs> yeah, go read a book. Go read a book, please. And all right. Thank you are we, so much. Uh, are we ready for the, uh, the the quote, though, for the next movie? Well, not yet. I got to say special thanks real quick. Okay. Special thanks to our sound producer, <laughs> Jake Colby. If you shared this, or if you enjoyed this episode, wait a minute, I jumped over that. Well, that yeah, I was wondering about that. Sorry sorry, folks, that, guys. Yeah, okay. Yeah, what about that <laughs> quote, Josh, for next week? Oh, What's the quote? All right. You play a good game, boy, but the game is finished. Now you die. Special thanks to our sound producer, (laughs) Jake (laughs) Colvin. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or anyone you think you would like it. (laughs) Yes, and uh, please hit that old subscribe button. We'd love a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a whole slew of other podcasts. Platforms and hey, if you'd like to contact us, which we'd love to hear from you guys, please contact us. Uh, you can hit us up on our email, the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. We're also on uh, not Twitter, we probably should do a Twitter account, but we're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so please, any thoughts, comments, criticisms, whatever, we just we'd love to hear feedback or just uh, just con- conversate with y'all. Absolutely. We're starting to get some feedback from different people regarding their favorite Midnight Watches. Love talking about movies. So definitely keep it up. You guys have an awesome week. And as always, keep up the watch.